Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Hello, hello. How you guys feeling tonight? Are we excited tonight? Okay, a little bit. Yeah, we're excited. Man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, you guys can go ahead and sit down. Um, I'm excited to minister today. I've been, I've been working on this sermon, it seems like, for an eternity. Uh, the moment they're like, hey, we want you to speak at the conference coming up, I, I immediately lost sleep. And um, so I'm excited if tonight I can finally sleep and I'm able to rest. But I'm, I'm, uh, the Lord has been put a word on my heart that, I, that it's specifically for this conference, for our network. But before I get into it, I do want to obviously honor some people. You know, I was thinking, looking at all the pastors here, and it really is a privilege to be able to minister among such great pastors and leaders. So I want to honor you guys, the pastors that are here today. Um, Can we give a hand to all of our pastors? And of course, I want to honor the board of our network, uh, Pastor Mondo Luna and and Lisa and Pastor Eddie and Roxanne. And and, um, I don't see him here, but my, my, my really, really good friend, Pastor Angel Flores. Who's, who's like my brother, and, and Des, uh, we've been family forever, so I want to honor you guys, I love you guys. I, you're not there, Pastor Angel, but you're there in spirit. I'll tell Des, and she can tell you what I said. I said a lot of good things, so I want some of those ribeyes too. And, and of course, um, Pastor Omar Lopez and Sister Letty for just being great pastors and leaders. And then, then I got um, my, my parents, Pastor Dave and Esther, they're here, and I want to honor them. My grandparents, uh, Danny and Linda Mancha are here. Um, my mother-in-law, my family, and of course, I cannot forget my beautiful, beautiful wife, Jessica, sitting in the front. She's, we got four crazy kids, and, and, and yeah, you, you, yeah, everybody said, wow, you get it. Today, the title of my message is called, Remain in Ephesus, Finish the Fight. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, I was saying that I'm able to use all the good scriptures today because I'm preaching first. And so you'll, you'll hear them all throughout the week. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 says, as, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul is charging Timothy. But what's interesting about this charge is he's not charging Timothy to keep the peace. He's charging him to wage the war. Because what was happening is there was, there was false teachers and, and, and secular ideologies and all these different things that were beginning to creep within the church. And Paul is telling Timothy, look, what they're trying to do is they're, bringing, they're, they're trying to replace truth for a lie. And he's charging him, saying, you need to fight this fight. You've got to stand up for truth when they're trying to bring it down. Timothy was called to stand. There was a command on his life. It was, do not run away from this fight. Stop being a coward. You've got to stick it through. You've got to finish this. Don't run. Don't be afraid. But defend God's truth. 1 Timothy 6, 12 through 16. Fight the good fight of faith. 
Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. Timothy is among this wicked culture, this wicked time, and this wicked city, called to remain in that city and to finish the work that he was charged to do. Can we take a moment to pray? Father, we thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to your people. I pray that my thoughts, God, and my emotions would not, would not be the leaders of this message. But, Lord, let it be led by your spirit and let the foundation be your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're calling us. And you've given us the privilege to fight this fight together. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. As Paul is charging Timothy, we also have received a charge. We also have received a job, a fight that we have to get into. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Right now in our society, there is a war on truth. There is, you know, they're trying to make everybody believe that there's your truth and there's my truth and there's his truth and there's her truth and there's they, them truth and there's these, them truth. And we don't know anymore because truth is, you know, we can kind of just make it up on our own, right? If that offended you, just get ready. <laughs> if that bothered you, just get ready. We, we now have this war on truth within our culture, within our society. If there's ever a time the world needs the gospel, it's right now. They need to know the truth about Jesus. If you bring it down to its simplest form, it is just that, Jesus. We overcomplicate this sometimes, and we make it about all these other things, and we make it about all these ministries and titles and positions, but it comes down to one man, and the world needs to know about him. But I think that we as Christians have become too comfortable in our freedom. We almost would rather say, well, you know what, Jesus, um, it's getting pretty bad out here. Do you think you can come get me now? Can, can you come? You're, you know, you hear about the aliens. You're like, I hope it's Jesus coming to beam me up. Because <laughs> I can't handle this anymore. It's too dark. It's too bad around here. But we're not called to run right now. We're not called to be afraid. We can't just sit in the comforts of our freedom. Oh, Jesus, thank you for setting me free, Lord. I'm so grateful. Now, God, what I would really like to be called to do is to sit on my couch. That'd be incredible, Lord. Leave me right here. God, I'm so satisfied in the giftings you've given me that I'm going to use only in my church. (laughs) These are not in my notes. Let's move on to the next point. Guys, listen. We cannot give up on the lost. We cannot give up on the lost. We cannot give up on the world. I, I think too many of us have thrown in the towel on the earth. We've thrown in the towel on the world. We've thrown, we've thrown the towel in on culture. And we really believe, man, we need to get out of here. But no, guys, we are on a mission of rescue. We are called with a purpose. We, we are called, listen, we are called to remain. Stick to it. Finish the fight. We can, ex- we can still experience 
a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the lost and the broken. We can still experience that. And I don't know about you, but it's something that I'm praying for. And I'm not just living, I'm not just praying for it, I'm living for it. That we would see God touch the broken people of the earth, the ones who everybody has checked off their list and said, oh, they'll never come, they'll never get saved, they're, they're way too far gone, they're, they're too twisted, they're too lost. That's who he wants. He wants to touch them. 2 Peter 8, 3, 8, 8 through 9, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thou- as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. The question is, will you respond to the charge? Now, I'm not talking to you guys in the front. You're all pastoring. We'll get to that in a little bit. You that came here and was like, oh, I guess I'll go. I don't really know who this guy is. I hope it's, I hope it's the other one. <laughs> oh, I hope it's the other brother. Hate to disappoint you. <laughs> but I'm, 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 I'm talking to you that, that, you know, you're kind of one foot in, one foot out and testing the waters to see what it's all about. Would, would you respond to the charge? Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But I have to warn you, this charge, this fight, is very difficult. That's why I didn't want one of these. You're going to hear me. And I drink a lot of water, so... This is a difficult charge. It won't be easy. It's not going to be fun all the time. It's, it's, it, it, it is this call, and I think sometimes we, we, we do glamorize Christianity, and we're like, well, maybe when I say yes to Jesus, he's going to call me into, into fame and to fortune. And, but no, you know, what, you, know what, you know when you say yes to Jesus, what you're doing is you're saying yes to death. You're, you're, saying, you're saying yes to the cross. And, and, I, and I love, I love, I love, and I'm not trying to... You know, I've been in church for many years of my life, so I love the claps. I think they're great, but the truth is I think sometimes the people that clap the loudest are the ones who haven't picked up their cross in a few months. The calling of Jesus is not easy. It's not fun. It's difficult. But if we're going to stick to this, if we're going to stick it out, we, we, we have to be done with casual Christianity. We have to be finished with it. Now, I'm, we, have to, we have to come to this place where we're actually serious, right? Where it really means something to us. Where, where we're actually willing to lay down our lives for Jesus. Casual Christianity has to die. There's this quote from a book by, called Why Revival Terries. It says, when a man who's crept for, along for years in conventional Christianity suddenly zooms into spiritual alertness, becomes aggressive in the battle of the Lord, and has a quenched zeal for the loss. There is reason for it. But we are so subnormal these days that the normal New Testament experience seems abnormal. What happened to them should be happening to us. We have the same Holy Spirit. There is no different Holy Spirit. There, we don't have a lesser Holy Spirit. We have the fullness of God dwelling with inside of us. God is looking for dead to self, Holy Spirit-filled believers to say, yes, 
I'll go, even though it's going to be difficult, even though it's going to be hard, I'm going to say yes to the calling of God. Now, here's the thing, is this charge is so important. It's, it matters so much that we respond that the devil will do whatever he can to get you to quit. He'll, he'll give you reasons to quit the fight. See, Paul was writing to Timothy because Timothy was a young man. And I was talking to Rabbi Rob earlier and, uh, and he, you know, getting a little, little lesson in Timothy. And he's, he's telling me, now, if, if this is wrong, it's not my fault. You could blame him. <laughs> he, he's saying how, much, how, how young of a leader he was. I think maybe, maybe younger than 20. Yeah, I know, it's crazy, huh? Some 20-year-olds over here don't have a job yet. <laughs> well, guys, this will be my last year preaching, and uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But Timothy is, it, Paul is writing to Timothy because there's, there's this speculation from Paul to Timothy that Timothy is going to quit. Because what's happening is all of the leaders that Paul was, was kind of establishing, they're, they're fallen. And he's reaching out to his son in the faith. Because Timothy is probably feeling like he wants to quit too. And he had a good reason to quit, if I'm honest. And I think some of us, if we're in his position, we'd probably quit too. I know I, I'd be tempted to, of course. Because he, he, was, he was fighting the, not just the, 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 the intimidation of the false teachers within the house... But he's fighting real persecution in the world. He, he's come, the, the world is coming against Timothy. The, the false teachers in the church are convincing other church leaders to come against Timothy. And not only does Timothy have these, these, external, these, these external battles, these external fights that he has to worry about. Also, Timothy was a very, very timid individual. And he, he probably didn't feel too good about himself. There was a lot of, I'm not good enough in Timothy's life. And so Paul is writing to him to say, you can't quit. It's too important what you're doing to quit. You've got to keep going. You've got to finish this. You've got to wage the war. Now, I know that for you and I, we, we have you ever experienced the, the feeling of wanting to quit? There's one, two, okay. Man, that's why we're growing here at Reach Network. Come. There, there's these reasons that we have to quit, and I think one of the main reasons that we quit is, is, is because of interference. It's this, this idea that when I attach my life to Jesus, I ultimately attach my life to comfort, and I attach my life to all the good things I really ever wanted. We can, we can, be, we can be distracted by our fleshly desire for comfort and ease. You know, when me and my wife went to Texas, um, you know, we, we said yes, and we had, didn't have a clue what was going to happen. Everybody's like, well, you just moved because you're going to buy a house, huh? No, that's why you want to move. It's different. <laughs> See, I got to stop. Oh, my gosh. I got to stop. <laughs> Jesus, please help me. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that. It, it, it wasn't because it was going to be easy. I mean, Angel, Pastor Angel tried to paint a really pretty picture. He's like, you better, just come on, it's perfect, bro. There's nothing wrong in Texas. And it works. 
But it wasn't, it wasn't because it was easy. It wasn't because it was comfortable. It wasn't because it, it, was, it was, we never even, me and Jess never even talked about Texas. We never even mentioned it. We said yes because God asked us to. And we were willing to be uncomfortable. We were willing to put ourselves in, in difficult places because we had a higher calling than comfort. And I think some of us are way too comfortable where we are. We don't want anybody challenging us. Pastor, stop preaching challenging messages or I'm going to stop coming to this church. We don't want anybody bothering us. You know, I think especially for the younger people. You know the... I'm not going to say it. The the younger ones. You've got to get a little bit uncomfortable. If, If... if Pastor Angel and Des can do it with four kids, if, if me and my wife can do it with four kids, then you could do it with zero. I mean, you got to step out a little bit and do something. I, I, think, I really think that we are so timid because we're waiting for our pastor to say, come on, come on, Johnny, here's the open door. Come on, buddy. You know, your pastor's waiting for a little bit of initiative. A little bit of, okay, you know what, I'm going to do something even when they don't ask me. And, 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 I'm going to do it even if they don't see me. We've got to be willing to get a little bit uncomfortable. Comfort is an interference. But you know what also is an interference is a, is a pursuit of material possessions. Jesus, you can have my heart, but don't touch my money. Jesus, I'll give you all, everything, Lord, as long as you give me a nice house and, and the Tesla that I've been praying for, God. I know, I know it's in your will for me, God. It has to be. There's no way, Lord. I've been persecuted too long driving my Toyota Corolla. There's nothing wrong with the Corolla. But our pursuit of material things, like, like yeah, I'll, I'll follow Jesus after I get the house. I'll follow Jesus after I get the wife, after I get the husband, after I get the family. Yeah, then, then I, Jesus, the reason I can't be all in for you is because, see, my pockets have been empty for a long time. And, and I need them to be filled before I, before I do something for you. But, but that's not how it works. Material possession is not, an, is, not, is not the equating factors to saying yes to Jesus. The question is, are you willing to say yes to him if he never gives you what you wanted? That's the question. Are you willing to say yes to Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense? Even I remember I had I'm gonna tell the story really short because I can't even see the timer on my left. Um, I remember I, I had a bucket. We all remember my, my blue Honda Civic, and there was uh, there was it, it, it cost me nine hundred dollars, and and if it rained, water came in through the bottom. <laughs> in multiple colors, and you know, not on purpose. And I remember that car broke down. I remember, Dad, that car broke down, and my dad was towing me. And I was—I was—I was think I was in my 20s, and he's towing me in the suburban. And I'm just like, God, what the heck is wrong with my life? I didn't have any money. I was broke. I was in debt. My car was literally broken down, and I couldn't afford to fix it. And I remember I'm sitting there, and, and, and the Lord would said, Hey, if I never—if I never bless you again, will you still follow me? I said, No. Hold on. My spiritual receptors are off. And he said, He said, If I never give you what you want. Will you still follow me? And I, I was honest. I said, I got to think about that one. Hold on. And I remember telling Lord, if you never give me anything else. Now, you got to remember, I, I was sleeping on my parents' couch. So it's not like I had a, an, even an apartment. I said, if you never give me anything else, I will follow you forever. 
Material possessions are, are such a great distraction. Another distraction is, is a desire to fulfill our dream instead of God's purpose. It's, yeah, I'm in the fight. I'm, I'm fighting the good fight, but really what I'm fighting for is my, is my name. Really what I'm fighting for, see, see, God, I'm called to be a worship leader, and, and, and i got to step into that calling right now, God. And Lord, if, if, if I'll follow you as long as, as long as the business I've been dreaming about, God, is, is within the plan. Because, because doesn't the Bible say that God's going to give you the dream of your heart? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't say that. But we, we, we attach our dream to God's purpose, and then when God doesn't fulfill our dream, we're disappointed in God. Because he didn't do what he said he would do. No, 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 no. He didn't do what you told him to do. And there's a great difference in those things. And then so what begins to happen is, is God puts us in a place of discipleship. He puts us in a place where we have good leaders and pastors. But then, then the pastor that we're under is, is actually discipling us. And he's not putting us in position. So, so you know what? I think I'm going to go to that church over there. Because the pastor over there knows my gift. And the pastor over there knows I'm prophetic. And, and the pastor over there knows I can preach. And the, and the pastor over there, knows, he knows I can sing. So what I'm going to do, pastor, even though you're discipling me. Even though you're loving me. Even though you're helping me. You're not giving me my platform. So because you're not giving me my platform, you're not allowing me to walk in purpose, but that's not how it works. I would even, I would even say this, if you think the platform is the purpose, you've been blinded by the enemy. That's not the purpose, it's what people can see. But we get this idea that if God isn't fulfilling my own dreams, and I can't express my own gifting, then it's not God's will. Everybody these days, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a songwriter. I want to be a podcaster. I want to be, this is, God, this is God's calling. No, 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 no. You've got, to, you've got to learn. You've got to learn. You've got to learn that God's calling doesn't always look like your dream. Amen. Another, inter- another way he stops us is intimidation from the world. Because once you walk in God's purpose, you become the enemy of the world. People are not going to like you. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. That happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Guys, the world isn't going to like you. I, I, I do have a YouTube channel, so I'm not hating on that. So I have Instagram, I got all that stuff, and, and people just hate. And I'm like, you know, I see these comments. Like, I'm a person, jeez. I, I, I see them all. Please go easy on me. <laughs> but but the world isn't going to love the church. The world is not going to accept the message of the gospel. They're going to, in fact, hate us. They're going to hate us. The people that are effective, that are making difference in the, a difference in the kingdom, you're not always going to be everybody's favorite. 
You're going to face some, you're going to face some backlash. You're going to, you're going to have some people hating on your message. You're going to have some people persecuting you with words and, and coming against you and your family and saying things about you and, and gossiping about you and, and tearing you down and, and doing all these. They're, they're not going to like you. I need to make that clear. We don't say yes to Jesus to become popular. We, we, we're not saying, yeah, Lord, I'm going to follow you if I can be famous and like. They're, they're not going to like the church. They're, they're, they're going to come against us. But see, I don't know where this happened, but it's especially within the, in the Christian culture of the United States. We, we've begun to try to bend to the acceptance of culture. And we, we, we've bowed down to this idea that, that, okay, well, first they need to accept me. And then if I can infiltrate the culture because they like me, then I can start preaching the word of God. Intimidation from the world has stopped the church from preaching the truth. There's a fear of being canceled. Oh, they're going to shut down my Instagram. Oh, my 50 followers, they're not going to see me anymore. Persecution. But we get, we're, we're afraid of be, be canceled, outcast, whatever you want to call it. And so what we begin to do is we try to look like the world and look like Jesus at the same time. We no longer say, well, what does the Bible say? We say, well, what's the best analogy I can come up with? What's the best prop I can bring onto my stage? What's the nicest outfit I can wear so that everybody knows I'm, I, I got it together? No, I didn't. That's nice. You're like, that's the nicest? Yes, it is. Yeah. John 15, 18, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So if you're not experiencing any hate, there it is. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. The world is desiring us to surrender truth, guys. The world is begging the church to bend its knee to the culture, to bend its knee to this idea of, of, of lies and, and, oh, yeah, you know, gay marriage. Yeah, we're good with that. Oh, you want to be a, you're a man, you want to be a woman. Oh, we're good with that as long as you can come to my church and pay my bills. Yeah, we're okay with that. We, it's begging us to bend to this idea that we can no longer, we can no longer proclaim truth. You know what I'm really sick of? I'm, I'm so sick and tired of the fact that the world can say everything they want and us Christians are, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to say anything. Uh, we, listen, we've got to get over that. You've got to get over that. Well, if I tell the truth, they're not going to like me. Guess what? They didn't like him either. We have to get over that. It's just, they even like you have this, this whole thing with the transgender movement. Then you have this whole thing with, with Roe v. Wade coming down. And, and the saddest thing that I saw was churches apologizing. Oh, I'm so sorry that we're celebrating this. I'm so sorry that, that you feel like you're judged. Come to my church. You know why? You know why we have to get people in the doors like that? Because there's no Holy Spirit to draw them in. So we have to, we have to convince them they, that we believe what they believe. Because if we can convince them that, we can be friends with them. 
We've got to get over that. Yes. I've learned a long time ago. Now, I'm not even pastoring forever, but I've learned a long time ago. I've got to stop worrying about what people say about me. Yes. If they don't like my preaching, there's another church down the street. Yes. They can go to that church. If they don't want to hear the truth, they can find another church to go to. But this is the thing, is when Christians refuse to stand for, celebrate, and proclaim truth, just so we can be accepted, here's what we do. We surrender the one thing that sets them free. We surrender truth in exchange for acceptance. Another thing that we have to go through is insecurity. I'm not good enough. God, God should have called someone else. Should anybody ever feel like that? I do all the time. You try planning a church next to Pastor Angel Flores. <laughs> See him up here? Everybody loves that guy. <laughs> you know, you try passing a church next to David Digger Hernandez. Everybody loves that guy too. I'm like, well, if I ever quit, I got a couple of places to go. <laughs> Don't clap at that. It's messed up. <laughs> Listen, the truth is, I, I struggle with this. I, I struggle. You know how many times a day I'm saying, God, are you sure? Are you sure you called me? There's got to be somebody better for this. There's got to be somebody a little bit more qualified than I am. There's got to be somebody that speaks a little bit better than I do, that knows more of the Bible than I do, that, that is a little bit taller and fitter than I am. And he's like, son, that's your fault. <laughs> like, God, like, this, this insecurity of, of and, and this is what happens when you become insecure, is you begin to, you begin to compare. And as you begin to compare, you begin to operate as somebody else without their anointing. And you wonder, why, is, why are they growing? And I'm not. We're doing exactly the same thing. It's because you're copying them, but you're anointed to be who you are. And this is what happens when we become insecure about ourselves. And really, I think if, if insecurity is anything, it's a slap to the face to God. To say, I'm not good enough. Well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that I picked the wrong person? Are you calling me foolish? Are you saying, I don't know what I'm doing? Do you think that I can't empower somebody like you? And I think there has to be this heavy conviction because, because we've made insecurity about woe is me and oh my gosh, I'll never be good enough. You know, no, you've got to look at it. What does it look like to God when I say I can't? What does it look like to God when I say you've chosen the wrong person? Insecurity is ugly. Our purpose isn't based on our qualifications. It's based on his word. Timothy, when he was struggling, Paul reminded him, remember of the word that was spoken over you. You've got to remember what was said about you. And I think the same goes for us. What does God say about you? Now, I'm not saying this, oh, you're more than enough type of sermon. I'm saying what the Bible says, that he used the weak things. Thank God. He used the foolish things. Trust me, I'm up here like, what the heck am I doing up here? He used the things that nobody else would, would, would deem qualified. And he says, that's the one I want. So you, you sitting in the back, and I know, I know I'm going to look at you right now, looking all over. You're saying that's for somebody else. 
It's not. It's for you. It's for you because I guarantee you, every single person sitting in these, these front rows has felt the same at some point. We all struggle with insecurity. But we cannot allow this. We cannot allow this to stop us because the purpose of our mission is so important. It matters that you stick in the fight because there's things that we need to see. There's things we need to do. One of the things that, that we need to strive for is to see real revival in the church. Now, I'm not talking about speaking in tongues, casting out demons, healing the sick type of revival. That's great. I'm talking about marriages being healed type of revival. I'm, t- I'm talking about fathers beginning to love their children and lead their home type of revival. Because that is true revival. The mark of revival is not the gifts, it's the fruit. And we need to be striving for the fruit within, within our churches. And if we quit, we'll never see it. If we stop now, you'll never see it. If you give up on the house that God has planted you in, you're never going to see it. You may feel like, oh, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. I'm done. I got to go somewhere else. No, maybe God has called you to birth revival in some places. Maybe God has called you as a seed planter. But you can't plant seeds when you're planting gossip. You can't plant seeds when you're, when you're, caught, when you're, when you're planting rebellion and dishonor. But God has called you to plant seeds within the house that he's placed you in. So that you can see revival beginning to be birthed. Before we ever see a change in culture, we must pray to see revival in the church. We don't need, let me tell you what you don't need in your church. You don't need an LED wall. I'm saying that. I have one. But I bought it to test, to see, you know, like if it was going to make a difference. You don't need an LED wall. You don't need all the best equipment. You don't need all that stuff. Oh, pastor, we're going to see revival. We've we got to get that thing first. We've got to bring that person in. We've got we to hire that person. Bring that person over here, God. Well, we'll see revival then, pastor. No, 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 no. You know what births true revival? And we all have it. We all can do it. It's prayer. That's it. You can have all of the great things... But if you're lacking in prayer, you'll never see revival. There's a a quote by Ian Bounds that says, Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men who the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. Now you can get in my face and say, oh, you're sexist. What about the women? I understand the women are important too, but we need some men of God to stop hiding behind their wives. We need some men of God to step up and into their lives of their children. We need some men of God. We need some men of God. You know what I love? I love when I see men at the altar worshiping. I love when I see men at the altar praying. I love when I see men coming early for prayer and for discipleship. Listen, what the world needs is strong men of God. And too many of us, 
Listen, men, I'm talking to you. Too many of us have surrendered our gifting in exchange for all the things we talked about. We said, oh, my wife got it. My wife's going to take care of it. My wife's going to fast about it. My wife's going to pray for my kids. My wife's going to do all that. Really, really? Do you think God called her to do it? You know why you think that? Because you don't read the Bible. And the Bible is called mentally. You can keep all your progressive ideas to yourself. I believe in what the scripture says. Men of prayer. The church has a purpose. We get upset with the world. Oh, well, the world is so dark and the world is so bad and, and we'll never see revival in the church because of how bad the world is. It has to happen here first. Another quote says, I do not marvel so much at the patience of the Lord with the stony-hearted sinners of the day. After all, would we not be patient with a man both blind and deaf? And such are the sinners. But I do marvel at the Lord's patience with a sleepy, sluggish, selfish church. A prodigal church in a prodigal world is God's real problem. Revelation 3, 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You know why the devil would love for the church to stay dead? Is because the devil can't stop a revived one. He would love for us to stay hidden in our freedoms and hidden in our comfort and hidden in all these things because he can't stop us once we wake up. When the church comes to life, when and I'm not just talking about the pastors, I'm talking about every member. When the members come to life, the devil can't stop us. It's our mission. We got to see revival in the church. But you know, but, but you know what's, what's really important too is, is our purpose is to save the lost. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Are we forgetting about them? Have we become so comfortable and distracted? You know what's crazy about the world is if you're, if you're ever on the internet, the people that are arguing are Christians against each other. People that have the most issues are pastors and pastors and leaders and leaders and brothers and sisters against brothers and sisters. And we're so distracted by fighting one another, comparing with one another, being jealous of one another, being envious of one another. We're so, we're so consumed with this that we forgot there's a lot of people that are going to hell. God has called us, commissioned us, charged us. Stay there and fight. Stay there and fight. Guys, if we don't do it, who's going to? If we don't step into this, who's going to step up? The question I would ask you is, do you care enough to get into the fight? Do you care enough about the broken people to get into to the fight? Do you care enough about the loss to actually step out of your comfort and do something about it? We have these reasons, but I think the most important, and I'm, and I'm closing here, I think. We'll see what the Holy Spirit does. Lord, another hour, God? Okay. The, the most important reason and the purpose for the fight, it's, it's very, very simple. It's to please the Lord. That's it. 
It's because he's actually worthy. He's worthy of our yes. John 15, 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. It's about Jesus. It's unto the Lord. It's unto the Lord. There, there, there's a story, and I'm going I'm to try to read it quickly. It says, in 1732, five years after the initial outpouring of the Spirit, two Moravian tradesmen heard of the plight of African slaves on the island of St. Thomas in the Caribbean and how there was a spiritual hunger, but they had no one to share the gospel with them. They determined to go by any means necessary, even when they were told they would have to sell themselves into slavery in order to minister among the slaves. According to the story that has stirred missionary zeal all over the world for the past near 300 years, as they stood on the ship departing from the wharf, looking for what they believed to be the last time of the faces of their loved ones, they raised their fists and cried, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This is it. They were deeply in love with the slain, slain lamb, cherished the love he showed on the cross, thunderously affirmed his infinite worth, and passionately desired that he would, he would have what he deserved, the reward of his suffering. We remain in the fight because he's worthy. We stay right where we are in obedience to the master because he is that to us our master. Cultural Christianity would say, well, Jesus has to do what I want. Biblical Christianity says, I lay my life down and say, yes. You may never get what you desire. It's not always going to be easy. You're going to have to fight. You're going to want to quit. You're going to have a lot of good reasons to quit. But at the end of the day, it's unto him. It's, it's unto the Lord. I tell our church this all the time. We're not, we're not, we're not, we love people. We're not here for them. I've, I felt it. No, we love them. We're here for him. Because if we're here for him and he comes, he can change them. He can transform them. Because, because he, really, he really cares about it. He really cares about the lost. The fight is going to seem very difficult. It's, going to, it's really hard. But God doesn't leave us to fight alone. In his presence is where we find our, our victory. Can I be honest with you? I'm going to be very vulnerable, okay? Is that all right? Thank you. You're like, yeah, be vulnerable. Just be quick. I'm going to be very vulnerable. The last year has been one of the hardest years of ministry ever. Now, we did... Well, thank you for ruining the moment. I'm just kidding. Gosh, I need to stop. These are the foolish things of the world right here. It's been really hard, really difficult. We've, we've had people 
abandon us in our church and talk about us and say all sorts of things that I don't even really know if they're true. You know, you never know. You make a lot of mistakes. Said a lot of bad things about us and ministry's been really hard. Not only that, there's been an attack on my personal life with, um, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to do it. I've been, I was struggling with anxiety. Bad. No, I knew, a couple people knew. It was so bad. It was so bad, and I'm, I'm just being very vulnerable with you. I'm being very open. I know my, my, my counselor friends are probably going to sit me down after this. <laughs> it was so bad that I was literally telling the Lord, like, I don't want to be here anymore. Not Texas. I don't want to be here anymore. I really felt like, God, this is just too hard. Like, the enemy begins to lie. Like, man, my kids could probably use a different person to be their father because I'm just not good enough. Maybe if I go, my wife will find somebody better because I don't feel like I'm good enough. And all these things begin to flood my head. I was crying out to the Lord like, God, this is, this is miserable. I don't like to do this. I was like, God, can I please just shut it down and go? I just want to go back to reach Paramount. <laughs> They've got a bigger LED wall than me. <laughs> but I, I was so, guys, I was so broken. I was so broken. I felt like there's, there's no way out of this. I was done. It was so hard. Months of that. Every day, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Lying in bed, with my, I couldn't sleep. God, I, I just can't do this. You've got to find somebody else. And as I was seeking the Lord and saying, God, would you, I just need your help. I don't, I don't, it, it, I don't know. Lord came, he spoke to me. He said, son, you got really good at ministry. You got, you got really good at, at preaching, and, and you know, he, he was complimenting me, and I appreciated that. <laughs> you, you, got, you got really good at all these things, but, but you got so good at them that you started to do them without me. And he said, the reason that I'm allowing this to happen to you is because I need you to know how important my presence is. He said, you want to be free? I said, yes. He said, then get into my presence every day. And I was like, you sure? I don't need to call Vanessa. <laughs> he said, just get into my presence. And so I made it my, I, made, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this every day. I got into the presence of the Lord. I spoke in tongues. First five minutes, I was like, this is stupid. It's not going to work. I've been doing this my whole life. God, come on. You don't got anything better than this. And I kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And before I knew it, before I knew it, the presence of God came into my little office. Now the room didn't shake. There wasn't thunderous sounds and and fire. It was a still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, I found freedom. And he taught me something. 
that purpose is not about everything we've made it to be. It's not about the titles. It's not about these, these conferences. He could have all this. This isn't the highlight of my life. This isn't what I've been striving for. Oh, I can't wait to preach at a conference. Now I'm honored and I'm thankful and I really, I really do appreciate the opportunity. Maybe I'll be back soon. <laughs> but it's not about this. Purpose is not about what you do for Jesus. It's about the fact that you do it with him. Because without him, there's nothing. Without Jesus, there's nothing. Romans 8, 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus is my purpose. Why do I fight the good fight? Why do I keep going? Why do I say yes to him? Because he's everything that I've ever wanted and more. There's nothing greater than Jesus. Listen, don't desire purpose. Desire Jesus. Don't desire titles. Desire Jesus. Don't desire the fame and the fortune and the houses and the cars and all. If you would just desire Jesus, you know what you'll find. You'll find this, that everything that I once counted as something, everything I once counted as great, everything I was striving for, everything that I ever wanted is nothing compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. So, what is this all about? Guys, if it's not about Him, you missed it. If it's not about Jesus, you're going to find yourself very disappointed. I've been in the, the services like this with a bunch of people, and I've, I've been in the places where it's just me and the Lord. Some of my favorite moments is just sitting with him. I love, I love this. I love our network. I love our pastors. I love all this. But my reward is not this. This isn't my reward. It's like what Paul says when he's closing his, his letters. He's getting ready to go and he says, Hey, Timothy, I, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And now I'm going to get my reward. Now I'm going to see him. And church, if that isn't your pursuit, it's not just that you missed it. It's that you're missing out on the greatest treasure. The greatest treasure. Why don't we stand as we close tonight? Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.